Hey guys, this is Kurt. And Logan. And we're here to talk about Battle Bards. I thought we were here to talk about how you're a terrible father. Pimping out your son. What? 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 Nothing. <laughs> okay. No, Battle Bards is great fantasy audio. I want to know that. Only things I care about are cartoons, balloons, Star Wars, candy, old people's smiles, <laughs> dogs, Pokemon, video games, fireflies. Do you even know what those are? Existentialist paintings. How do you even know how to say that? The sound of forts, <laughs> ninjas, and electronics. Okay, that's a lot to process. Farts? Really? Oh, but check this out. Lord Ardok is a wooden fortique symbol. Bida octo mon farste outwis mon kasabu haudon fu chi tang gali asparos. Ooh, scary! And this. Ooh, impressive. You can't deny this, though. Noal na o lapireta ikarino ilasa zorge, lapilasa do lape turbs benas. Okay, that's very cool. Okay, Logan. So how much would you pay for that awesome audio? Thirteen point two pesos. There's no such thing as point two pesos. Fifteen hundred yen. Five hundred pinks. Republic credits. That's not even real. That's Star Wars, Logan. Well, let me tell you. You go to battlebars.com. You sign up for an account. And not only do you get that premium auto, but you can get a little something from us also. With the 10 and $25 packages, you get one free track with MFGCast1 as your coupon code. Buy a $50 or $100 package and get five free tracks with the code MFGCast2. That's a half of an album for free just for using that coupon code. Could it be any easier? Buy the $150 and $300 packages. Not only do you get most of Battle Bards fantasy audio, soundscapes, music, sound effects, etc., but you also get 10 free tracks with coupon code MFGCast3. A full album for free for using a coupon code from us. You're welcome. I'll just buy that great audio right now. Wait, but you have to you have to ask your parents permission before you buy. This is the MFG cast. Hey guys, Kurt here. Another great interview. Someone we've talked to. I've, I've, I I want to say you're probably one of our regular guests now, so we don't have to do this all this introduction crap all the time. It's Dave Killingsworth, Solar Flare Games. Dave, thanks for coming on. Hey, I'm I'm now a recurring guest star. Yep, exactly, exactly. We love you. We want you back. 
on this interview, we're talking to Dave about something a little different. When he comes out with his games, it's it's in a nice tight package. It's a nice little box of a game, something that's ready to hit the table and get hit the ground running. But this one is a little more bigger in scope. He calls it a, a smaller big box game, but we all know that there's a lot more to it. Uh, we'll be talking about Dawn of the Archmage, which is the sequel to Archmage Origins in the Archmage line. And then hopefully once this is successful, hopefully it will merge into a bunch of different things in the Arch, the Archmage line. It, depending upon how you say it, I'm, I am I want to say Archmage all the time, but you know what? It's potato, potato. You can call it what you want. But before we get started, you know, talking about what all you get and what's, you know, when it's coming out and stuff like that. Dave, why don't you tell us a little bit of, about the story of where Dawn of the Archmage comes from, it, where it is in the aspect of the Archmage line. So the the concept we had was we did Origins because we wanted just a light little card game that people could play between other stuff. And, you know, we, we are kind of, that's our, that's always been our niche thing is light, fast, and, and easy to, easy to play. And we had already been working on Dawn. We just, it was going to be a while before Dawn was ready. So we decided to do Origins just to kind of get people familiar with the universe. This is 10 years later from Origins and the rise of sophisticated civilization has started to challenge the power of the mages, you know, roving paladins and adventurers, you know, tearing down their castles and hurting their minions, you know, increasing their, uh, their property uh, insurance costs and uh, workman's comp claims going through the roof. So they've decided to get together and once a year they hold a contest to see who is the strongest among them. So they, they basically create an arena combat summoning monsters from their, their schools of magic to brawl it out in an arena to determine who will be the Archmage and uh, or Archmage. It, I've discovered you can say it either way. So anyway... Uh, Archmage, and uh, whoever's the winner will gain a share of everybody else's power to go out and teach those pesky do-gooders a lesson. In this game, you have tiles, you have miniatures, you've got your your cards to do magic. So tell us a little bit about how Dawn plays. So it's my friends have described it as a small unit skirmish game. So it's the idea is you you're you're playing a mage and you have an arena before you. The game the game will have uh, 18 tiles in it, which gives you up to four different completely different playing surfaces. If you want to use the same tiles or if you want to mix and match the tiles, it's nearly infinitely configurable. And the idea is you you basically summon to two areas on the tiles that are yours. And you summon these monsters, and you move them around the board. And anytime monsters end up in the same space, you have combat. And it's a it's a dice based combat system. But uh, we've built in uh, mage powers, monster powers, spell cards, uh, things that allow you to kind of manipulate the the situation. So, you know, there is a luck to the dice roll, but you have ways to mitigate it because I, you guys have known me long enough. Look. I'm never going to make something that allows the smartest or best person at the table just to pound somebody's face into the table because Solar Flare is about families and friends having fun together, not beating the snot out of each other. So we always put in that sense of a little bit of a, either dice or card luck so that even young players can feel challenged and, and uh, people who haven't played board games can play our games and get interested into the hobby. So when coming up with this game, you know, and I don't remember if I ever talked to you about this. Was this something where when you had Archmage Origins thought up of, was this the the natural progress of it to go to Dawn? Uh, actually, Dawn was created first. Origins uh, became a 
bastard hybrid of the game engine I invented for Utter Terror and the universe of Dawn. So when coming up with the concept of Dawn and thinking of the whole miniatures game and stuff like that, how did you go about that? Was it something where you wanted to, was it something right away that you were like, okay, you know, I I know what factions we have and I know what I want to make up, or is it something where as you started doing it, everything just kind of came together. What was the progress of that? So here's the, here's the deep, dark secret behind Dawn of the Archmage. I have a really good friend. His name is Will Statesky. He uh, created a game called Monkeys Need Love Too, and then he tried to kickstart a game called um, Bad Day for Donuts. And I'd helped him playtest Donuts, which is it's a fun, fun game. Um and and his Kickstarter didn't 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 go well. I don't know if it was the donut theme or is this clearly a kids game or an adult game. But his combat engine he had in that game, I loved it. And I used to sit around talk, try to talk him into changing the theme of his game. And he's like, "No, this is what I want to do." I'm like, "Cool, dude, I respect that." I said, "Do you mind if I?" I and I know you can't copyright game engine mechanics, but I we worked out a deal since we're friends that I wanted to borrow some of his combat system, and he, he we signed a deal. Um, he allowed me to use some of the combat system, and as soon as I sat down and was really kind of thinking about themes, I'm like, how much, you know, arena, battle, gladiatorial, ooh, magic mages, ooh, this, is, and boom, off we went. It was, you know, the four archetypes were easy to come up with immediately um if the kickstarter does really well we actually have two two expansion races ready to go if if he, if it's popular enough but i mean you know classical elementalist necromancer uh, you know demonologist and a technomancer and we went technomancer because we love steampunk so we, it was a nice way to work it into the game and now you have these four head-to-head factions and houses of magic that are going going at each other and it was just from that little game mechanic that I thought was so much fun, we just built a bunch of things from it and put it all together and ended up with Dawn. In the game, you use tiles to basically build your arena and fight, you know, fight with your monsters and your mages. So, you know, coming up with that, was it something that clicked in your head right away? You were like, well, obviously we need these, we need these tiles that everyone can kind of place as they go to kind of build the arena that they need. Or was it something where you were like, okay, well, let's, Let's build, let's do arena-sized game board and then put some terrain tiles in in certain places and then call that a game. How did that progress? So this was also something that didn't come about naturally. Originally, the game was a 18 by 18 four-fold board. It was a static arena on one side for four players and a static arena on the back side for three players, and that was it. And my good friend Homer, who is part of our test group and our Friday night game night, and he's actually the the male elementalist wizard in this game. And so if you see the art, that's Homer. Uh, Homer has this really horrible habit of, Dave, you're going to hit me, but I've got this idea. And he does that, and every time he does it, somehow I end up with more work that costs me time, energy, and money, but it always makes my games better. And he goes, you know, and this was because we'd played some Zombicide and we'd, we'd just been playing Mechs versus Minions. He goes, you know, think about how much more replayability your game would have if we just cut your board up into pieces and added some extra pieces so people could 
put it together how they want and people can play how they want and it becomes this replayable thing we even had one group of people took the center tile out and they said if your monster runs away towards the, the opening they fall into the abyss and disappear so it just it just his idea was just leave it up to the people let people make your game what they want he goes one of the best things about your games is you you allow flexibility for people to tweak it to fit their needs and fit their cl- and, and this was just us taking that to the to the nth degree and then the trick becomes okay well you have 18 tiles what are the four environments in um we've been we've been working on that because the base one comes with an arena um, a steampunk factory floor uh, a sewer and a forest and then we have expansions built into the stretch goals where people can buy them as add-ons there's a pack that's a dungeon and lava there's dungeon area and then a lava cavern system and then the last one is desert and graveyard and so it was just one of those things where oh yeah, how many different places can these mages run around and have these fights and, it, and then it just became fun just more fun more pretty artwork and more things for people to um, want to keep playing it without it feeling old yeah and i like that because i you know i think even with for as far as it you know far as it can go and getting those tiles and stuff like that, it still lends itself to people kind of using it almost like a D&D setting where it's like, okay, we can have this and we can have these preset stuff, preset things that Solar Flare set up for it, but it also we can add terrain or we can add a certain a way to hack it. Just when you're talking about that kind of stuff, it just makes me think of all the people that I know that would want to hack this game and make it into more of a, a more of a free-for-all with more things kind of thrown into it so that... I like that idea. The the, uh, the terrain thing also started with Homer going, hey, Dave, I had this idea. You're going to hit me, but here it is. And then we added a deck of 20 cards to the game that come with um, little tokens. And it allows people who really want to customize, their, they can take, everybody gets one card out of that deck, and then they get to place the corresponding token on the board, which, again, modifies all the base tiles of the map with these certain spaces on the board that now have special magical uh, effects or dangers. And that's one of the things the reviewers have just absolutely loved is, hey, we can put as many of these out here as we want and just make it even crazier. And I'm like, that's the whole point. (laughs) And that's what we did. So what was the inspiration for the art? Did you say that you talked a little bit about Homer, but what was the, you know, whole, I mean, it looks, it looks beautiful. Um, the, The game art was, uh, you know, it's hard to say. I try to make sure all my games, you know, look a little different from each other, you know, each time. But I get I get with artists that I really like and I really enjoy. So the mages are all done by Andorra, the guy who did all the gods for Lords of Rock. And then he introduced me to Joel, who's doing all the sculpting work for the game. And his girlfriend is doing all the monsters. So it kind of became this almost like a, a family family thing. And then my friend Mortis in the United Kingdom who works, who has worked and does work with tabletop towns is doing my terrain. So it's four different artists. And the idea was I really wanted something in between the Lords of Rock hyper-realization, hyper, hyper-realized godlike art. I thought that was a good thing to use for the people. But the monsters, I wanted them to have that kind of classic fantasy feel not too overly drawn but not grungy if that makes any sense you can definitely go on one side or the other with it so you have to be kind of careful so tell people about how you came up with with finally coming up with exactly how you wanted the miniatures to look like and what they're made out of and stuff like that because i you know as a i'm not i'm a huge minis fan but i don't i don't know enough about it so it'd be nice to just hear about 
you know, how you came about just selecting some of the things that you decided on? So what I did was I knew that each team had to have a theme. And here's the big secret that I will tell every game designer who ever listens to this. Find an artist that you trust. Give them a giant sandbox to play in. Tell them just to stay inside the wooden borders of the sandbox. But let them just create. Because that's what I did with Joel. I said, look, here, you have Undead. I would like to see somebody that's kind of a skeleton, somebody that's kind of an abomination, you know, um, somebody that looks kind of like a half-dead witch. And I just gave him, like, five ideas and said, go do your thing. And he'd do some sketches, and he'd go, what about these? I'm like, that, 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 and that, go. And I wouldn't really, I didn't give him a lot of direction. I just gave him a lot of creative freedom. And the same thing with the monsters. Um, His girlfriend does them about one out of every eight I have to send back and just say, hey, just a little bit more this, that, or the other thing. Yeah, in addition to being a publisher and designer, I'm also apparently an art director. But uh, with Joel, I didn't know anything about minis when I started. And so he started doing some sculpts. And when I realized just how talented he was, I'm like, okay, we're going to have to really lean into this. And I ended up making friends with, I don't know if you've ever heard of Impact Miniatures or not, Tom Anders. I have I have not, but... Okay, he does a lot of mini work, and we became really good friends. And he's got a resin printer, and he does a lot of stuff with that. And that's when we finally learned that we could print these things in resin, figure out what works, what doesn't, what's what becomes moldable, what doesn't. And, you know, working with Tom has just been wonderful because he gives us all the, you know, the ideas of these are the limits of what these things one time we did one mini he goes um by the way i can hold it up to the light and see through the blade of the weapon not thick enough you know (laughs) so it's 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 one of those things that the manufacturer i have does minis they sent me some really nice samples and then it just became you know asking them what do you need and then working from our side you know working backwards to create the right kind of files with the right kind of density and thickness is is just a learning curve and now it's you know it's it's way more than i ever thought i wanted to know but uh, having a good good partner, somebody like Tom at Impact, it has been invaluable. I don't think I'd even be able to complete this if I hadn't met him. So tell us a little bit about each mage and what their what their uh, strengths are, because I I, I kind of like to find out about what exactly how does that game balance out between the four. So we did what we usually do is is the the core math behind the monsters is is balanced within a very narrow percentage what what the the trick for us was is the the certain monsters have special abilities certain monsters just have flavor text and so the undead tend to have more of more resiliency in the sense that they might they might get beat up and destroyed but there's some special abilities and cards and spells that you have that allows you to keep bringing them back the elementalist is obviously an elementalist he's his monsters are just summon an elemental and just you know tear things up they have kind of more of an ability to push or pull other monsters around at times Uh, the wizards can do stuff like that too uh the technomancer um they have the ability to kind of like overjuice some of their monsters so for a short period of time that it gets stronger and then it kind of can burn out so and then the last one was uh, the demonologist and some of their stuff uh, can move in ways other monsters can't um, we try to what we really try to do is not build something in there where anybody could min max and pick one so the balance is very very tight what we just kind of did is picked one aspect of the game and gave each of the teams a slight advantage in that area. Nice. So which one is your favorite then? The funny thing is I, you know, I like them all. And it, and it comes down to when I play with my friends, since I turned most of my friends and family into the characters in the game, uh, <laughs> I usually end up playing the undead because, uh, 
my my daughter is the necromancer on one side and her boyfriend's the necromancer on the other so i tend to end up playing them homer homer plays himself you know <laughs> and and mark likes to play the technomancers because he we haven't finished his art yet but his art will be the male technomancer and then uh my wife likes to play the elementalist because she'll be the she'll be the female elementalist so we kind of all I don't I don't put myself in my games but I finally cheated this time if they if the if the if the fans unlock all the way through the five five different sets of mini designs we actually modeled the very last demon after my face. Yeah. So you can scare people for days on end. I told I told my managers at the job that I the the people who work for me I'm gonna have a three inch resin print of myself as a demon made and give them each one for their desk to keep an eye on them. <laughs> nice. Oh, that's awesome. This is one thing we try to tell people: it's a miniatures game, but you can have it set up in about seven or eight minutes and put away in about seven or eight minutes, and it's it's. It's just like our other games. It's really easy to teach and it's really easy to play. How complex and dirty it can get is really up to the level of the players playing. It's it's very the the strategy is there, but you you have to make sure you're playing with other people who kind of understand how to get depth out of something that appears simple. If that makes any sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. It's funny that you say that because that was actually uh, one of the questions I was going to have is, is to ask you about that. So it's cool that, you know, you're making something that, you know, has a lot of bits and has a lot of pieces and has a lot of things you, that you can futz with. But also at the same time, it's something that's, you know, not going to, you know, hurt your brain to learn. It's not going to be one of those that you're going to be like, okay. Well, obviously, with all that I have going on, I have to set this up, and then I have to do these, and I have to read this to you, and then that, you know, you know, it's clear-cut, concise, and it's going to be something that, you know, you can take out and be like, hey, let's, you know, let's play this for, you know, up to a half hour or whatever. It's going to be counterintuitive, because the box is about, I think the box is, the box is 13 by 10 by 3, and weighs about 6 and a quarter pounds. And so it's going to be kind of counterintuitive that you can just bam slap it up and i can tell you it's easy to set up and fast to play because we took it to bgg spring with us and we'd walk in there about 10 minutes before the 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 exhibitor area would open and we'd have it set up and ready to go by the time they opened the door and you know we had a we had a kid he kept coming back to the table and playing it i'm like do you really i mean you really really enjoy this because yeah it's like summoner wars but better for more people I'm like, okay, I'll take that compliment. And then he posted it right on the Kickstarter. Yeah, he's he's and he was he was really enjoying it because he just the it it wasn't like you had all this stuff to track. You know, your the strategy really comes. Where do I position my monsters, and which one do I hit hit you with first? And can I trigger a daisy chain and bounce your monster through three of mine and kill you before my turn's over? You know, stuff like that. Or can I pin you up against something and beat the crap out of you? It seems like when people think of a miniatures game, they think I am in it for two or three hours because that's <laughs> that's typically what uh, a miniatures game is for. You know, it's to set up a lot of stuff, a lot of you know, a lot of offense, a lot of defense, a lot of strategy. So it's nice to have. You know, something that's just, you know, even though this is a bigger box game for you guys, it's still a pretty small box. It's something that can easily be put out and you don't have to worry about it as much, which is great. Yeah, and the, and it's, you know, it's 20 minis. So if you're one of those people that has mini guilt because you don't paint them, at least you don't have massive piles of gray minis. Or you're just going to, no matter how many designs we unlock, it's just five minis per team. It's just how far we fund is going to depend on how variant the 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 sculptors you have to play with are um we even 
made sure we got the colored snap-on mini bases so that people can easily tell. They can look at your placard and see which slot you have the mini in because the slots are colored. You know, there's five colors, there's five colored bases, there's five colored damage tokens, so everything's color-coded. And then we did positioning on the on the placards so that even people who are colorblind can tell which mini belongs to which slot. Um, the only thing we just said was to support colorblindness, all they have to do is draw, take a sharpie and draw dots, one, two, three, four, or five dots on the base cover. And that's it. And it's it's really easy to pick up and play. Nice. That's awesome. A lot of times when you have your games, you you know have a few add-ons or stretch goals. And I'm looking at it right now, and you've got a ton. So let's let's focus on a few. Why don't you tell us of uh, let's okay. let, why don't you tell us about a couple of things that you're really excited about that people might want to either add on or something that to be excited about when they hit that stretch goal. So you're gonna make me bring up my own Kickstarter page so I can make sure I don't miss anything. Okay, we'll do that. <laughs> you don't have to hit it all. Just you know, just hit the finer points. The the, the main thing is one of the things we did is look. I, I'm very upfront, and honest with people. Doing miniatures costs a fortune because m the metal molds they need to do in China are, for at least for with who we're working with, every set of four designs. So the base set is four designs. So in the base setup, you if we didn't fund anything past just the very basic first goal, everybody would get five minis on each team. The demons would be all the same guy. The Technomancer robot guy would be all the same guy. And that's how you start. Well, that's $3,000 for that mold and then $600 for the sample print to sign off on the mold as being right. So right there, you're, you're at $3,600 in a raw cost that you, there's no way to wash it or absorb it or that. It's just part of the cost of making the game. And so we had to build in the layers. So we built in four other tiers where at $42,000, you unlock design set two. So what would happen is you'd get for the demons, for the demonologist, you get three minis of the first design and two minis of the second design. And once we unlock the next one, then you get two, two, and one, and then you get two, one, 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 one. And then finally, at 75K, all five designs are unlocked. All 20 minis will be completely unique. And that's kind of one of the, that's that's kind of the the golden point to me is we we've already made all the all the minis. We've already done. I've already paid all the money for the sculptor work because I believe in what we're doing. I front I front paid that stuff i mean i have to make it up hopefully the game does well enough when i'm selling it in distribution that i make up those front end costs but i didn't i'm not a publisher who believes that okay i don't have any of this work done i'm gonna go to kickstarter and hope i get the money to pay the artist i paid the artist up front some of the really fun neat things in here i don't have the image up yet we actually had the same guy who's doing my terrain invented some punch out terrain so you'll be able to punch out two pieces lock them together and make little 3d cardboard standees to sit on the on the map to show the places where there's obstacles i think that's kind of fun and cool the thing we're absolutely think is really 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 cool that everybody will enjoy is it's called the wandering monster mini booster pack <laughs> so we took four monsters from or archmage origins and we're going to turn them into four individual minis and what's going to happen every time you go if if this one unlocks you'll get a separate box that has the four minis in it there are four monster cards and a little rule sheet and what happens is every time you take one turn around the board there's a check and if the check check succeeds you have triggered the summoning of one of these random monster monsters to the board so you'd get the new custom mini either the manicore the owlbear the troll or the minotaur and you put them on the board then they start trying to eat all your monsters <laughs> 
And the only way to get rid of them is you either kill them, and there are there are victory points associated with killing the wandering monster, or the only other way to get rid of the wandering monster is for everybody to get all their clear their monsters from the board, and the wandering monster will disappear. And what we did was the Wandering Monster Booster Pack is, is going to be an add-on. So if we hit a certain level, it'll unlock, and you have to buy it. But it's only twenty, only going to be 19 bucks for four new minis that, that nobody gets to control but try to eat your monsters. And what we did is one level above that, if we hit that next level, we'll add Gertrude the Dragon from Archmage Origins as a... Uh, she'll, be, have a, she'll have a 45 millimeter base and a 65 millimeter height. She's going to be a double sized mini, and she'll be free for everybody who purchases the Wandering Monster booster pack. That's the one we think is really cool. The very, very top end one is we add enchanters and druids, and the game then goes from playing two to four to playing two to six. You know, I was just kind of looking at everything that comes with it and stuff like that, and we've talked about most of it, but. Um... Tell me about how the how the terrain modifier cards kind of uh, affect the game. So, like when we play, we make it harder. So we get like, we, everybody draws two of the terrain cards. Um, but basically, what happens is you get the card, and usually there's a there's a tile, not a tile, but a, a token, a, a one and a half inch by one and a half inch token that basically fits exactly on one of the board squares on the tiles. And everybody draws. Whoever gets to, whoever's first player gets to play their token first. And the rule of thumb is you're not allowed to play one of these tokens within two squares of summoning somebody's summoning portal. And no tile should get more than one token. But the tokens have various kinds of effects. So we have acid pool creatures who. So then, since you place the token on a tile, if you're fighting near that acid pool and you lose your fight and you roll your what we call a retreat roll and you retreat into the acid pool. The, tile, the card says, creatures entering this space take one point of damage, except for necromatic creatures. So if you're an undead, you don't care about the acid pool. And so it's basically extra bottomless pit. Creatures who enter this space roll 1d6 on 1 through 2. The creatures are removed from the map. On a 3 through 6, the teacher takes one point of damage and then moves off the space. Confusion cloud, dispel magic, explosive runes. There's healing ones. There's ones that do damage. There's one. There's even one that, uh, let me find it here. It's We're kind of proud of it. It's called the um, time shifter. So everybody can only go over this tile one time. And when you do, you collect a time shifter token. You discard your time shifter token and it allows both, forces both mages to re-roll their combat. So it's like spinning, spin the clock back. So there's a lot of stuff like there's there's traps if you run into them. There's pillars that are spiked. So if you actually retreat into that pillar, you bounce off it. You take a point of damage. You bounce back to the space you just were and have to fight again. <laughs> so it's it adds a lot of uh, variance. There's just it adds because I didn't want to build map tiles with all this stuff on it static. Because then people go, oh, okay, I, I want this tile as my home base because it has this on it. This really allows players to dress the board up any way they want. I, I have one playtester who decided that certain cards had to go in groups. So then when they set up to play for testing, they go, okay, are we going to do the, the trappy one? Or are we going to do the crazy one or whatever? And they would, they would have a sets of four or eight train cards that they would use to theme theme the the way they were going to play that day. Yeah, so you've got you've got a lot going on here. I like I like the aspect of, you know, everything kind of happening as the players play it because there's otherwise there's just too much there's too much like you know, too much pre-planning, there's too much like you said, I you know, I'm just going to sit here because this is the place to be, you know. So 
I, you know, it seems like from every aspect, it seems like you have it laid in a, in a way where it can be an all-out brawl or, you know, people can kind of bend it to their will and it's not something where it can be overly one-sided. Mm-hmm. Well, and that was one of the th- things we talked with people. We didn't want people to turtle because you can't win unless you're killing monsters. So, you know, if somebody wants to huddle in the corner and not participate, I'm not going to legislate and force people to play. You know, that's kind of that was kind of one of the things. And we, when we were playing at the convention, I had a friend of mine play, and he goes, the only thing I think it's missing is more things to do with your soul stones. So then we invented four more things to do with your soul stones. Mm, nice. So they're they're like they're like omni power, you know. Um, a soul stone can be used as a summoning crystal. A soul stone can be used to pin a monster's foot to the floor. So if you beat it up pretty good, and it starts to roll a retreat. You can make it not retreat. Um, you can activate your wizard's special ability with a soul stone. Just lot, and you could actually even reroll your movement if you if you burn a soul stone. So there was a lot of things to really. A lot of it's about managing die, bad dice luck, giving you opportunities to kind of take another shot at it's still dice luck but you know two rolls is better than one yeah yeah exactly yeah so you know it looks like you you know packed a ton into this game and it it sounds like a ton of fun so let's let's talk let's talk uh let's talk figures for two seconds let's talk about how much this is going to cost us so why don't you just kind of Tell us about that. The the one thing I think most people have learned about me is, you know, as much as everybody out there is doing a lot of this because they want to do this as their career, it's, it hasn't always been my goal. I've, I've told you enough times, this is about taking really weird ideas that are in my head and turning them into something fun for people to play. So we found a good manufacturer. I, I, I fronted all the art costs, all the mini costs. I didn't roll that into the Kickstarter. I'm taking that as a... Uh, to be very businessy, um, I'm writing all that stuff off as a business expense for pre-production. So the Kickstarter itself is truly based on um, a minimum run that I feel like I need to do to, you know, relative to, okay, here's the minimum number of backers to reach the starting point. So I need at least this many copies plus this many copies for my distributor. Okay, here's our starting point. Went to my manufacturer, said, how affordable can you make this? Um, the molds, the PU costs, all this stuff. Um, and we got it down to where we really went pretty tight. And so the base game is is $69. And in stores, it's going to be 80 which we went out and did the research. And it's got 20 minis. It, it's got a ton. I think it's got almost three and a half pounds, if not four pounds of cardboard in it, um, plus cards and tokens and dice and molded plastic pieces and all this stuff and so it kind of felt very comparable to what was out there if not slightly cheaper and then I looked at doing shipping and the one thing we've always done at Solar Flare Games is when we do a Kickstarter we always eat um, the equivalent of a what is it it's a uh, flat rate a shipping box because that's what all of our games have fit in previously and so in this situation I can't eat the the shipping cost for something this big and heavy completely. So we, we made a business decision to apply that same uh, $6.40 savings to our backers. And so there's a, it's a $69 game with a $6 shipping charge for the U.S. Um, United Kingdom is actually, we've got a great distributor over there. So the cost for people in the U.K. is exactly the same cost it is for the people in the U.S., which is hilarious. Um, and we've got snakes and lattes that will do Canada for us. So everything is country friendly across the board um you know and the shipping costs were as absolutely low as we could get it we we subsidized every country by that same six dollars and 40 cents so that you know there are places where 
the shipping cost is almost as much as the game itself but I don't think any of those countries will be surprised but uh, Europe uh, Australia Canada United States are all very affordable so if you wanted to buy just the game on the Kickstarter and get you, you know all the inc stuff that's automatically included it's going to be uh, $69 plus six bucks shipping and which is pretty and it's all up front everything there's no you don't click on the thing and it goes surprise we're charging you shipping and it's going to depend later on what we think it should be it is up front very clear laid out on the kickstarter page that's great because you know with as much stuff as you have in there i mean you like you said the retail is 80 I'll, you know a lot of big box companies could probably even put that you know even higher than that so you're getting a great deal for minis. You're getting a great deal for tiles. You're getting a, a great deal for tokens, cards, etc. So go out there on August 1st. Go help fund Donna the Archmage and help Solar Flare Games. Help help him reduce his acid because he, you know, he's very nervous about <laughs> these things, and we want him to be feeling a little bit better about where he's going in life. And just I think just like anything else that you've ever done, I think it probably is not going to be the easiest road because that's just not how th not how things work on Kickstarter but I think it's going to be just as successful especially since we this is our third game this year and we've got three planned for next year yep yep exactly <laughs> so so help this poor man help put money in his pocket so he can put it into other games that he's going to be uh, absorbing a lot of the amount of he's doing this for you guys not for him he's doing it for you okay and here, here's, a, here's a little public service message. If any of you who are listening are going to be in Dallas at the end of August for QuakeCon, come to the Tabletop Gaming Room. We will be there, and we can you can see it before the Kickstarter is over. Nice. Yep. And it's always always good to get your hands on a game that you might eventually have. So it would be kind of cool to play that. So, again, if you're in the Alice, <laughs> the Alice. If you're in the Dallas area, go check that out. Oh, again, it's always have it's always great having you on, Dave. Thanks for coming on again and talking about your wares, and uh, we'll be excited to hear about the good news once you guys fund Dawn of the Archmage. Thanks very much, man, and it's nice talking to you again. Legends of Tabletop Podcast, creating legends one die at a time.